0: go to Matthew 25 I have learned that if I get all my scripture out the way I tend to get to them I have found I don't do as well if I don't just read it because I spend most of my time in my notes and then I never get to the actual scripture and I've said this before The primary, the best practice when reading a scripture, especially in the middle of a chapter, is to go back to the beginning and read the whole chapter. And sometimes you've got to read multiple chapters getting up to that point, especially when you see a whole lot of red because Jesus isn't talking in chapters and verses. Sometimes Matthew 25 is actually continuing on from Matthew 24. And what you want Is the mind of Christ about a subject. You don't just want information on that particular verse or chapter. You don't just want to take something out of context. You want what is Jesus actually talking about. Pastor Dan has done a masterful job in Matthew 25 recently. And the beautiful thing about the word is that it is alive and it speaks to multiple situations in multiple ways out of the same verse. So we're going to go back into Matthew 25, only briefly, and we're going to pull something out of it that adds to what she preached, but it goes a slightly different direction because we're talking about transforming church culture. And what I'm interested in is, i got to switch arms, what I'm interested in is... What is Jesus's mentality where the church and the culture of the church is concerned? Because he did not establish a religion, and so much of our culture as the body of Christ is based on religious practices that have existed for centuries before we were even on the scene. And very early in the church, religion was the primary and still is the primary tool used by the devil to have a hand, to have a voting right in how the church moves. Because the church came under opposition by culture from day one. Because here, these apostles are coming out and they're preaching what is heresy to the religious order of the day. And they're preaching it in a a nation and in an empire that's a devil-worshipping pagan nation. They were not popular. Their lives were at risk. Many of them were murdered. We know this. We know the history. If you don't, you should learn the history of your church. Many of them lost their lives, their families, their homes, their businesses, and everything just for following this Christ. And when you go on through that kind of persecution for a long enough period of time, there's a strong temptation to dial it back a little just so you can survive. And many of the things that we take for granted as being part of the Christian culture were survival methods. They had to go underground. They had to blend with other practices and other things in order to preach the gospel without risking their lives. Not all of it's bad. But you have to know the origin of a thing and the purpose for a thing because you can take things for granted just because when you came into the church, this stuff was just how we did it. I mean, even Christmas. Is a, is a survival mechanism. It's, it, it was the Christian's way of celebrating Christ during a winter festival that worshiped the devil because you weren't allowed to preach Christ. So to appear to be participating in the winter solstice festival, they created a secret worship of Christ. And it wasn't until Christianity became legal that Christmas became legal. But that's why we celebrate Christmas in the winter, as Jesus' birthday, even though he most likely was not born in the winter. Because that's when everybody was celebrating something. And the Christians chose to hide their worship of Christ in the pagan rituals, which is why you have things like Christmas trees and wreaths on your door and bulbs and, and various other um, trappings of the holiday that aren't bad. I'm not saying they're that. Pig. You know, one time Dad heard that message and threw our Christmas tree away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk about you, Dad. You know, they had to go back. <laughs> Pastor got four Christmas trees in her house at any given time. So we're not saying Christmas trees are bad. Don't throw your Christmas tree away. But it's good to know that some things are, that are, we take for granted as Christian right. were cultural ad- adjustments. And a lot of things that we take for granted as Christian today have the same spirit. They're cultural adjustments. Easter is another one of those holidays. Easter is traditionally a Christian holiday, but it, has, it does not have Christian origins. It's a a pagan fertility holiday, which is why you have things like bunnies and eggs as the primary symbols, because bunnies are incredibly fertile. And it's a fertility holiday, a pagan fertility holiday. But it's close to Passover. So the Christians said, we can celebrate the resurrection of Christ in the same season, and they won't mess with us. So that's what they did. They would take the pagan holidays... And bring Christ into it so that they wouldn't die for celebrating Christ on the actual times when they would Because they knew when Jesus's birthday was that wasn't secret but You couldn't make a holiday back then unless the Emperor allowed you to So you went with the flow of the culture then we then we established Christian nations in the West and we just stick with the tradition nothing wrong with that tradition nothing wrong with the tradition But you have to see a pattern. That church culture often follows the world's culture. I don't talk, and I still ain't read Matthew 25. Go to verse 14. I'm not going to read the entire thing. I'm just going to give you the cliff notes because you should know it by now. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability. So he delivered unto his servants his goods according to their ability. So he determined how much of his goods they could steward at that point. But the master's goal was to increase their stewardship to increase their ability. And the Lord said this to me. He said if he said if I can change your culture, I can change anything about your life. Because everything about your life was given to you by a culture you accepted. Most of the time it's subconscious. Most of the time, it's not even a conscious decision. It's just this is the world that's around me all the time. These are the beliefs that I accept. We we defined culture last week. These these are how I view the world, and these are my responses to that view. And a lot of times, you have deep-rooted allegiances to things that have affected your ability to steward what God has given you. And you're not aware of it because it's cultural. And the devil has always used culture as a way to control the children of God. And until we are able to accurately, objectively audit our culture, and by our culture, I mean our personal culture, the things that we believe that we don't know why we believe them. A good indicator of culture is something that you take to be true with very little research. If you didn't personally come to that conclusion on your own, you might just be following the predominant culture that you grew up around or that you're in, even if you, come, you grew up in a Christian home. I see this with children especially this generation. You know, when I was a teenager, I went through a phase. Well, I was, I was a little, I was late teens, early 20s. For about three or four years, I'd say. From about 17 to 20 to 21. I went through a phase where I questioned everything. I went through a, I don't know if this Bible stuff is true phase. Now, I was still playing every every service. I was still teaching new members class. I was still functioning in the church. But in my heart, I was on a journey to find out if any of this stuff was true. Nobody knew but me and God. But I went through a phase of questioning the Bible for myself because I had only known the word. All my friends had been handpicked based on their supposed commitment to God. All the places I could go growing up was chosen based on whether or not it was of the devil or of God. All the music I could listen to was chosen for the same, by the same criteria. How I dressed, how I talked, what I watched on TV. My whole life had been controlled by my parents for the sake of making me usable for the kingdom of God. That's the job of a parent so I don't fault them for that. But after going through that for about 17, 18 years, you think you know stuff, you know? And it wasn't a rebellion. It wasn't like I don't believe this stuff, I'm out. But I'm broke, so I'm gonna I'm pretend, like some kids. Some of y'all wouldn't be here if you had money on. Maybe not in this room, but I'm looking in the camera Some of y'all wouldn't be here if you could afford not to be here. And parents, listen to me, you need to be aware of that. Because participation without commitment is more dangerous than no participation at all. If your children participate in the things of God, if you drag them to church and they don't want to be at church, I don't have time to get into that. You're not doing them any favors and you're not doing yourself any favors. What you need to be doing is is getting wisdom from God on why my child is not adapting or changing, I should say, transforming. Because you can adapt and not transform. You want your child to fall in love with Christ for themselves. That if you stop coming to church, they'll still come. That's when they've taken the reins of their own spiritual development. And participation can mask that because I was in everything. I was the model young person in church. There was no church in the country you could put me in, I couldn't fit right in. Youth group, no problem. Stand in the pulpit, no problem. I preached my first message at 17 years old. And I did a good job. But in my heart, I was on a journey to figure out if I really believe this stuff or if this was just all I knew. And it took me a few years of questioning God for myself. And you know what? He answered all of those questions. And in my early 20s, I became individually committed to this life. My parents didn't talk me into this. They didn't push me into this. I'm here because I choose to be here, because it became my culture, It's my prayer life, It's my study life, it's my giving, it's my sowing, it's my tithing, it's my commitment, it's my my relationship with God, it's my fellowship with God. It's not a continuation of what I was made to do as a child. And as a child, parents, you can require your children to do things that are spiritual, because at different points, they don't know what they want to do you got to give them something to do. And, and as they participate, you mark whether their character is, devol- is evolving or whether it's resisting. And then you pray accordingly. That's a little bit of wisdom for you. But I, I went there to say this. It was my responsibility to change my personal culture to match the culture I was around. So much to the point that when the culture I was around began to veer away from the Word, I had the strength of character to challenge it with the Word because I had been in the Word for myself. So when I began to observe things that were broken in the church, I knew what side to stand on, and I was willing to stand on it by myself. That's how you get a whole Christian, because I've I've seen a trend in the church, not, not not just rapture, but the church as a whole, where we look for where everybody else is going, and we apply value to it by how, how it stirs us emotionally. And if your relationship with God and your commitment to, to the culture of the kingdom is primarily based on how it stirs you in your feelings, you don't have a strong foundation. This has gotta be something you do because it's just right. Not because you feel anything. You can go a whole year of consistent prayer and study and not feel a thing. Will you go two years? You got to get to the point where you stop looking for a feeling. You have to get to a point where this is, it's not what I do, it's who I am. And I don't, you get to a point where you become solid in certain things that can be unchangeable in you then you can evolve into greater levels of that. But your ability evolves relative to how solid you are in what God has given you to steward. And he's given every single one of us a a level of stewardship with the intention of growth. Jesus was highlighting a concern that the church now faces. He's given every man a talent. A measure of his spirit, of his grace, of his ability, of his finances. Because ain't none of us starving to death. Divine prosperity is revealed through divine purpose. It's not just you getting more money. There were three servants here. Two of them doubled their stewardship and were rewarded with double their stewardship. the other did nothing with his stewardship but didn't take anything from the master either he just gave back what he was given and in his mind that was the best thing for him to do because he had a culture that told him i can't do what you've given me to do so here you go give it to somebody else and The master's purpose for giving him a talent was not to get more out of him, but to get more to him. Because you notice, the guy that had five and multiplied it to ten, he didn't take the ten and say, all right, let me give you five more. He he called that ten little. He said, now let me make you rule over much. So even if you double everything God's given you, That's still little to God. He's got something that will increase you beyond. But what he's looking for is whether you tap in to his purpose for providing the five or the two or the one. And a lot of times, many of us have been given the one, and we think the one isn't enough to make a difference. So we just sit on the one because we haven't tapped into he gave me one. That guy with the one talent could have said, Well, he gave me one talent. That's better than zero. Let me turn this one into two. But your culture has to transform. And when I'm talking about culture, I'm talking about personal culture because as personal culture changes, church culture will change because we are the church. Let me give you some homework because I don't have time to read it all. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. You need to spend some real quality time in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Let's go. Most of Matthew is Jesus preaching. Most of it is read. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to start at the end of it. And then you're going to start at chapter 5, verse 1, and read up to it, because I don't have time to read three chapters tonight. But I'm going to start at the end, verse 22. This is near the end, but this is, this is where we want to be. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, this is Jesus talking, I never knew you, depart from me, you that work iniquity. He said the same thing, or similar thing, to the wicked servant. So, it's not inactivity alone that qualifies you to be cast out. Jesus said, I never knew you. Now, to give you the, the condensed version of the sermon on the mount Jesus is addressing a lot of things that are cultural for the te- for the time and then he shows you his view on what it should be so he directly challenges things like things like divorce money loving your enemies he challenges their own current way of thinking and then he says this is how you should be thinking And he sets those teachings as the foundation for the culture that he's come to establish. Then at the end, he says, many of you will do things in my name devoid of that culture, and I won't recognize you. Because doing something in the name of Jesus is not the same as doing something as Jesus. And we have a lot of church in Jesus' name that does not operate as Jesus. Because the first step to kingdom culture is transformation into the character of Christ. And Jesus outlines in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 his character. And he expects that from his disciples. That's why these chapters are so important. And when you go to Acts chapter 2, you see that is the predominant character before God sends one extra person to the church. All 3,000 people that joined the church after the day of Pentecost were sent by God. They didn't go out and do anything but preach. And the Bible says the Lord sent those that should be saved to them. Because that's God's job. And that's actually his pleasure. He knows how to fill a church. But he won't fill a building with people who don't match the character of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Or Acts chapter 2. And if you need to understand Jesus' mind about what the culture of the church should look like, You need to know those chapters. They need to become your character. And in most churches, most organizations, you will see discrepancies, you will see deviations, and then you wonder why they fail. Or you wonder why they might gain number and popularity, but there's no anointing there. See, I'm not interested in, in, in popularity. And that's easy to say sometimes because it sounds noble. But I want you to understand something. I really don't care about being popular. Jesus was not popular after the crucifixion. He could draw a crowd before. We saw that thousands would come to his meetings and get healed. Thousands did not show up to support him on that cross. So popularity don't mean anything. And then after the resurrection, when his apostles began to do their work and the church began to grow, a lot of those people were murdered. That's not a good uh, sales tactic. Join with us, you might die. You will be hunted by the most powerful empire on the earth for the rest of your life. Your family will be killed. You will be fed to the lions. That's not a popular sales tactic. No church today would do that. If the government came in and said, Christianity is now officially illegal. How many of us would still come to church? If you knew you were going to prison. Every time Paul preached, he knew he was going to jail. It wasn't a guess. He had to sneak out after the meeting and go to another town. And he was getting more and more famous. So Christians were smuggling him in and out just to do the meetings. And I think we've lost... We, we put these people up on pedestals, but we don't mirror their commitment. Because if our church isn't, doesn't have something or doesn't do something we think it should have or do, because we have the option. See, we're lazy in, in the West. Because we have the freedom to shop around. Oh, this church don't have this? Well, go to a bigger one. Oh, I, don't, I got hurt by that church. You've never been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by people. But you've been hurt by the world, too. You didn't, you didn't kill yourself. You love the world enough to stick it out. But when the church, quote, unquote, hurts you, you get offended and don't come to church no more. I never understood that. What makes you think you are entitled to never be hurt by anybody? Well, the church is supposed to be a place where nobody does you wrong and everybody loves you. Well, did you love everybody? Have you ever done anybody wrong with your saved self? Would you like to be ejected from the church when you did something wrong? Or if you do that, then you say we're judgmental. You can't please a person who's not committed. But a person who is committed, you cannot offend. And I found that out. There are some people that cannot be offended enough to leave. Because like me, this is their culture. Because you're going to get rubbed the wrong way. Sometimes you're going to get done a little wrong. Not intentionally. We ain't trying to hurt nobody. But, as, but growth can be a, a trying process. Everybody's learning. Everybody's growing. Everybody's evolving. Don't nobody have the whole thing already mapped out and knows where everybody fits. So sometimes you get bumped around. Sometimes you get moved around. Sometimes you get challenged. Sometimes your assumptions about what you should be doing get changed. Oftentimes, the servant with one talent didn't believe he was supposed to do anything with that talent. So he did nothing. He had an assumption about himself. But the master had a different belief about him. The master believed he could double it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given it to him. And he'd be chilling right now if he had just agreed with the master. Because the master gave him according to his ability. So whatever he expected from him, he knew he was able to do. But the servant had a different impression of himself. And he followed his personal culture instead of what his master was trying to get him to do. And what I find in the church, in our church and in other churches like us, is the biggest headache is overcoming people's personal culture. I love. Here's what I love. I love an a, a. How do I how do I word this? I love a. I'll do anything. Kind of member. Doesn't mean you can do everything. It doesn't mean you're capable of doing everything. Cause nobody is. You gotta share. Sharing is important. <laughs> But I love uh, if you ask, I'll give it my best. Because that heart, yeah. that heart puts you in a position where God can maneuver you into various growth patterns and growth cycles and growth opportunities. And you might start out doing one thing and end up doing something completely different. When I, I told my story before. When I joined the band, I didn't even have a keyboard. I was just the setup guy. I showed up before everybody else did. Mind you, nobody in the band were good musicians. They didn't have no experience. Won't nobody making no money. It wasn't like this was an opportunity to be around celebrity. This was nothing. Everybody was trash. And I was setting up for trash musicians. I was setting their drums up. I was setting the keyboards up. I was setting the guitars up. And then I would just sit back and watch. I didn't have a keyboard to play. Then I got a keyboard to play and couldn't play it. So I stared at it. For months, I stared at it. And I'm the pastor's son. And he's running the the rehearsal. And he wouldn't even let me touch the keyboard that's sitting there, ain't nobody playing it. I'm just looking at it. And it wasn't like he was waiting for me to get good because nobody was good. But I didn't complain. I never complained. Got a little antsy sometimes because you want to get involved. You're showing up. We were doing two rehearsals a week and weren't even playing. We were showing up twice a week, all night, because back then dad believed in all-nighters. <laughs> rehearsals started at 7 and end at school. <laughs> and I was still in school. And, and you just go home when he was done. And you know how long-winded us Davis men can be. And he's in a room full of people that can't play no instruments very well. So you gotta work all that out. But I didn't complain. This is where I could be. Now it's my band. I can do what I want. And I've made an entire career out of music. An entire career out of it. Because of submission. I never asked for any kind of a position. I just wanted to be used. Now, let me segue a little bit. Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7. He said, I don't he said, I will not recognize some of the people who call me Lord. So recognizing Jesus as Lord is not a criteria. It's important, but that ain't going to do it. He said, that's not what gets you into the kingdom of heaven. He said, casting out devils, not, not, that's not going to get it. You're going to stand before him and think because you cast out devils that you were doing the work. But you have to understand something about Jesus. He's looking into the future. See, it's devils right now. But in the kingdom of heaven, ain't no devils. So how will you be qualified in the kingdom of heaven when ain't no more devils to cast out? Where will he place you when ain't no more preaching to be done? Did you ever think about that? See, you're, you're in 2023. He's in eternity. Your whole culture is centered around having something to do that gets you exposure or gets you opportunity for what you think ministry is. But that's not how Jesus thinks because this is just a, a small piece of time. He's in eternity. What is your eternal destiny look like? See, Jesus knows. A little secret that he's been trying to preach to us for the last 2,000 years. There's only one guy getting into heaven. And that's him. You don't get into heaven. He does. If you look like him, you get in. If you look like you, you don't. You can do everything you want in his name. But the reason he won't recognize some people is because they don't look like him. Because he picked the character that qualifies for his kingdom. Now, it begins with born again, but it ends with transformation. And this needs to be preached again. Because preaching is an industry. Church is an industry, and it's not hard to get into. You get yourself a nice podcast mic, the right filter, the right pair of glasses, a goatee, and a comfortable enough couch with the right camera, and you can go to work in the ministry business. And there's a lot of people doing it. You learn the right moves, you get the right phrases, you play the right chords on the right guitar, and you can get into the ministry business. See, I grew up in the ministry business, so I know the ministry business. Now, I was blessed to be around real men and women of God who were anointed and called. But I saw a few that just knew the business. And you, eventually, you'll learn the difference. Eventually, you'll see it, but it's hard for most people to tell. Sometimes they mingle with the anointed and called, and they ride the status. And you'll think a person is anointed because people fall out when they pray. But you remember when Moses was standing in front of Pharaoh and turned the rod, and, and God turned the rod into a serpent? What did Pharaoh's sorcerers do? They did the same thing. People can fall out for all kinds of reasons. They, fought, they fell out for Michael Jackson. <laughs> yeah, I, want, I want the Holy Ghost. The ministry is a business, and it's coming for our generation. It's coming strong in this generation because it's never been easier to get into it. See, it used to be back in the day, it cost you a little something. If you was going to even pretend to be a preacher, you had to to get get a car and drive all over the country and set up tents and have a band and pay people. And it was time-consuming, and it was intensive. And if you were a fraud, a lot of times it wasn't worth the time. If you didn't make enough money in that first year, it wasn't even worth it. So you go do something else, you go be an accountant or something. But nowadays, you can do it at your leisure. You can get off work, clean yourself up, get on Instagram or get on TikTok, shoot yourself some content, and call yourself whatever, and people will follow. People will like. People will engage because they're hungry and they're desperate, and they're looking for anything that sounds good. I'm extremely critical of whoever I listen to. The Lord gave me an instruction to get on social media because I've never been on a social media guy. Anybody that knows me knows that's not who I am. Uh, He said, I know it's not who you are, but it's who I want you to be. So I have to do it. But it is not a personal goal of mine. This is 100% obedience. I want you to know because as long as when Facebook first came out, my sister, Casey, came to my room and said, you got to get on this Facebook thing. And I started a Facebook profile and never did anything with it. And it's funny that she would be the one to bring it up because they've had so much success with social media. I don't know where to start, but I have to be obedient. I'm going to do it. I'm saying it out loud on camera so that now I have to do it. I ain't got no excuses. Y'all heard me do it. So if you don't see me on Instagram, I'm disobedient but I want you to know this is not my personality. I'm not a I gotta be on camera guy. And some people are. God made people that way. He didn't make me that way. I've never liked cameras. I just, I enjoy a good conversation. But I'm not the person that, I, I, I'm not a good actor. I can't turn it on and off. If You just put a camera on me and whatever I'm doing, that's what you're gonna get. I'm, I'm this way from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed. There's no switch. But, there's a lot of guys that are good at it, and they're so good at it, you think they're anointed, and they ain't got no one to know on them. And if you're not very critical, see, here's the thing. I value good preaching, but I put it in its proper place. It's always a supplement to what the Lord is saying to me. It's never going to replace it. It's like I take a lot of protein because I'm working on bodybuilding. So you gotta, I got to get like 220 grams of protein a day. That's a lot of meat. That's a lot of food. I Can't eat that much food. So I take protein supplements to get about 100 grams, and then I can eat the rest, because that's a reasonable amount of food. But a supplement is not a whole meal. It's not going to have all the other nutrients in it. It's just a supplement. It focuses on a particular nutrient you're trying to get in a higher dose than everything else you need, And then you got to get the rest from what we call whole foods. So I eat a lot of chicken, a lot of fish, a lot of turkey, because I have to get all the other stuff that comes with the whole food, not just protein. Otherwise, your body will get out of balance and you'll still be unhealthy. Well, if I have one criticism about Christian media, and I'm telling this to y'all because we're on media, too. Rapture is on media. It's in the media. That's a weird way to put it. I'm sounding old when I say stuff like that. We own media. <laughs> we are in the media. <laughs> you know. I, I, sometimes you have moments of objective clarity where you like, that was a real old way to say that. Nobody say it like that. <laughs> we are in the media. But let me tell y'all something. Now I'm looking in this room and, and I'm still past the DJ, so I can say this. Two weeks ago, a pastor Dana talked about money. And this room was full of people. She said, "I'm gonna show y'all how to save money," and we was full because we didn't broadcast it. You had to be here because she said, "I don't know if I'm gonna broadcast it. I don't know if I'm a live stream so it. So, you, if you you might miss it unless you come here." And everybody came. And I'm not salty about that. I'm not. But it does seem a little interesting that when people have options, they stay home. It's raining. Well, I, It's raining on my house, too. It rained for me. I'm not yelling at anybody. I'm not angry when you see me on Sunday. I'm going to love you like I always do. But I find it interesting, one of the things about media especially in this day and age, is that it's passive. It doesn't cost you anything to sit home and look at a screen. You do that all the time. Passive interaction with the kingdom of God is not interaction with the kingdom of God. It's a good supplement if you're home on a Tuesday and we're not having church. But when you get up and you schedule your day and you decide, I'm going to put on my good shoes, and I'm going to wash my face, I'm going to do my hair, I'm going to put a little makeup on, I'm going to get in my car, and I'm going to drive to church. That is a sacrifice. Because you don't have to do it, but you make your interaction with the kingdom valuable enough to be worth that inconvenience. Sometimes we have issues that keep us away. I understand that. I'm not judging anybody if you have something that keeps you away periodically. You got to do what you got to do. But if you have a culture... Remember, we're talking about culture. I'm looking at cultural things. I'm going to pick apart every aspect of our life to find where the devil has infiltrated us with his culture. If you have a culture that values convenience, I ain't going to never see you on a Wednesday night. And it shouldn't be that way. It's inconvenient for me too. I could do this over a live stream. I could Facebook Live and sit on my couch and do this. But I get up, I put on a jacket, I come out here to see 15 people when we got more than 15 people. Am I fussing a little bit, Pastor Diana? Okay, that's fine. We have to get back to what? To value. Because our values diminish over time. You get comfortable. You get a little older, and suddenly you start telling yourself, I can stay home more than I used to. Day on day, they know my heart. I know your heart. Your heart is revealed by your acts. Don't believe me? Jesus said in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 7, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. He said, You shall know them by their what? By their fruit. Verse 17, Every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. I'm not calling you evil and corrupt. I'm just making the point. That your heart is revealed by your actions, not your previous actions. Yeah. If you have a difficulty or an issue that we can help you with, ask for some help. Don't, don't ride on your previous commitment. Because if you're breathing, you're breathing God's air. You want to be done? You want to be old enough to be done living? Then die. Was that? Was that... Is that good enough? Did I say that one? Because we use these things. Somewhere your granddaddy told you that when you hit 60, you're supposed to slow down. And you made that your culture. So now when you hit 60, you slowed on down. You used to come to church once a month. You used to come every week. You got the same car. You ain't doing nothing on a Sunday morning. But your granddaddy planted a seed in your mind when you was a kid And you brought that to the church. You told God, this is my culture. This is how I do. But when you call on him, he don't tell you how old he is. He don't say, look, you should have gotten me back in Genesis, man. I was was fresh back then, but it's been 6,000 years. He don't tell you how old he is. You expect God to be on all the time every day. You sing songs about it. You see, every song you know, he's an on time God. He's always there. We got a million songs about the dependability of God, and we're the most independent, we're the most undependable people. I'm not angry, I'm focused because I want this church to grow, not just in number, but in character. And the character of the kingdom has to return. We used not to be like this. When we had less, we did more. I remember the lodge. I was there. We was deep. And we had, remember, remember Brother Joe, we used to get there at 30, 7 o'clock in the morning and clean the place for three hours before service started. <laughs> I say we, I mean us as a whole. I know it won't him. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Sister Mary and <laughs> all the kids. We didn't have no, we had one room. The kids, if you were there, you, you, you was mopping, you was wiping, you was cleaning something up, and then you still had to sit there for church, and dad preached for one an hour and 10 minutes. At least. Church was started at 10, we was getting out at 1.30. And then we had to pack all that equipment up, come back on Wednesday, do it all over again, and we did it twice a week, and clean the place, every service, for two hours prior to the service. Now some of y'all weren't here for that. And we were we were four times as many people as we have today. All we gotta do is come in here, turn the lights on, press power on the sound equipment, do a, do a sound check. Ain't that <laughs> some of y'all are like I would have just waited till y'all got y'all stuff together. I know. I'm not angry, I'm not fussing. I'm just laying the foundation of where my mind is at. I'm laying a foundation because it's time for change. But here's the thing, you know, Pastor ain't even talking about change. It's not coincidence she's talking about change because change is exactly what will happen in this year. I'm not interested in things being the same. We already know how every, everything we know about how we are. We done got everything we can get out of, out of who we are today. We need a new culture. We need a new culture. We've already maxed out everything we can get out of our old culture. If there was anything else to get out of it, we'd have got it by now because we've been in that position for a long enough time. It's time for a new culture. We've got to make new friends. We've got to do stuff we don't like to do. Me too. We all got to step up. So I'm not just preaching to y'all. I'm preaching to me too. I told you I'm going to be on Instagram. I don't want to be on Instagram, but I'm going to make that and watch this. You got, you got to understand something about me. When my culture changes and I bring something into my culture, I'm a 100% kind of a guy. I'm annoying with it. Once I commit to something, you ask my wife, I don't commit to a lot of things because I give 100%. I learned that from my dad. He said, son, you don't ever join anything you don't give 100% to. So I didn't join a lot of stuff. (laughs) But everything I join, I prosper. Everything. I get results when I commit to something. I expect the same from you. Amen.